0: And this is View of the Valleys podcast, episode 27 with T.J. Hoover and Chris Smith. T.J., how are you doing?
1: Oh, doing well. You know, basketball season's in full swing. Coming up here on the Christmas holiday and uh, vaccine has been released. So maybe we can see some things coming to uh, coming to an end here. You know what I say, the, the light's at the end of the tunnel, but we're still in the tunnel. So hopefully we can get through these uh, next few months here and everybody can stay healthy. How about you? How are you doing, bud?
0: I'm doing good. Uh, been a nice week for me. I've been enjoying the college basketball games that have been going on was enjoying the uh, crossover games between the two conferences but outside of that, I really like this time of year TJ I'm a big Thanksgiving and Christmas person. I like to I like the foods at Thanksgiving and I really enjoy looking at Christmas lights or, you know around the holidays yeah. and you know just being with family and you know, looking forward to some off days here coming up for uh, work and sitting back and you know just relaxing for you know a couple days. I'm sure. But during this episode, uh, we don't have an interview this week, but we got a lot of games to get to. Uh, we're going to look back at some of the games from this past week. We'll also check in, see what happened uh, for TJ's standpoint on what stood out this week for him in the Missouri Valley, and then same with myself for the Ohio Valley and at the end of the show, we will look into the games for this coming week between the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. First things first, TJ, we'll look at the games from this past week, and we'll, we'll do the crossover games first, and then we can get into some of the other games from the two conferences. But we had a few games this past week between the two, TJ, and, well, uh, the Missouri Valley came out on top between the... I guess, what was it, the four games? And uh, the OVC did did not get a win out of those four games, but they were close. They were real competitive for the most part. Most of them came down to the wire, but the first one we'll look at is the Eastern Illinois and Evansville game. Uh, Evansville came away with a 68-65 win over Coach Jay Spoonhour and the Panthers. Eastern trailed at 34-19 at the half, so Evansville put together a really good first half. What did you see from Evansville in that game?
1: Well, I just saw, you know, that they finally got over the hump there. You know, uh, they held on. uh, Like you said, that they had a really good first half, but that second half, Eastern came on. You thought their uh, senior laden team was really going to pay off for them. But uh, saw some different guys step up. Evan Kuhlman played really well for the Aces. I think he ended up uh, with like 15 points, and, uh, you know, which is a good night for him, but they had. Uh, five guys in double figures. So you saw that um, kind of get distributed around there. I think you're starting to see Shamar Givens and Jawan Newton kind of come into their own for the Aces. Um, but, you know, I thought I thought it was uh, really good for the, the Aces that they uh, were able to, to come out on top, fight, or if I remember correctly, I think Eastern maybe even taken the lead to late, hadn't they? Or did they never catch up to them?
0: Uh, I'm not sure. It, it was close, really late in the game. I know Eastern battled back, but it was you know as you said, Evansville was really getting over the hump with that win as it snapped their losing streak. But when we had Coach Spoonauer on, you know, last week he was talking about some of the free throws they had missed in previous games, which kind of led to some you know led to led to a deficit. Excuse me. Uh, but they struggled at the line against Evansville, six of eleven which was good enough for 54.5%, whereas Evansville was a lot better, and basically that was the difference in the game. They made 13 of 17 from the line for 76.5%. One of the areas that did keep Eastern in the game, uh, Josiah Wallace was 3 of 3 from 3-point range, and Max Smith was 4 of 5. So, I mean, as a team, I believe it was over 60%, which is – if you have a th- team shooting over 60% from, from distance and you shoot 18 threes, attempt 18 threes, most people are thinking you're probably going to win that game.
1: Right, yeah. That's shooting that well usually a good indication that uh, you're going to be leading at the end of the game, but that definitely didn't work out for them.
0: No, it sure didn't. Uh, Marvin Johnson led the way with Eastern with 17 points and the loss. Uh, moving on to the Valparaiso and SIU-Edwardsville game. Uh, Valpo had the Cougars number, came away with an 80-58 victory. Uh, The Cougars were led by Sidney Wilson with 16 points, and Valparaiso was led led by Sheldon Edwards with 20 points, 8 rebounds, so nearly had a double-double in that game. Uh, First half, Cougars struggled from the field, only had 22 points. Second half, both teams started to pick it up a bit. As I mean, it was kind of a track meet in the second half, forty-seven to thirty-six in the second frame. But that was another game, TJ, where I think Valparaiso was—they were near double-digit point favorites, if I remember. Um, If not,
1: yeah, I think they were. I think it was thirteen. The the, the game just started out really slow. At one point, I think it was like four to nothing as they were approaching the uh, under sixteen timeout. You know, so. Even though they pulled away late, Edwardsville was was always kind of there, so to speak, because Valpo just couldn't put some things together. And I'm still, you know, trying to figure some things out with Valparaiso and who they are this season. But you know, I thought it was a, another good win for the Missouri Valley but for Valparaiso as well. You know, some of their freshmen are really starting to step up. Valparaiso.
0: Well, when you look at the game, uh, neither team shot the ball well from deep. You know, Valparaiso was able to put up 80 points, but it did not really come from three-point range. Yeah, they outscored the Cougars 21-6 to six from distance, but they also attempted 25-3. So they only shot 28% from deep, or SI Edwardsville, I mean, it, that hurt them, hurt them in the game. They shot less than 12% from three-point range, two of 17 and followed that up from the free throw line at 46%. So overall, they did not shoot the ball well. Which on the road, I mean, it's it's hard to win when you shoot you know poorly from three point range and from the foul line. But the next game, which was the game you probably had your eyes on most of the week, was Carbondale against Murray State. You know, SIU came away with a 70-66 win over Murray State. And this was a game we had talked about on the last episode that we were both really looking forward to. And I thought Murray State was going to have Carbondale's number just with the confidence they were riding in on after basically taking it to Austin P by 30, you know, a couple of days prior to the game against Carbondale.
1: Right. I really, I, I thought it was going to be a good test for Siu going into that, but I was uh, as a fan. I was worried about the game after they kind of took it to Austin P and all the good things we were hearing in the preseason hype about Austin P. But you know Tevin Brown just could not get loose for Murray State. It ended up with three points, um, had some foul trouble in the uh, second half. I think he sat a good six minutes there in the second half when he had four fouls, and uh, you know it just it couldn't. KJ Williams tried to carry the uh, the the racers, but it just, you know, they couldn't quite get it. And, you know, Southern Illinois hit some big free throws late. You get two big free throws from freshman Dalton Banks. I think the, the score was tied when he goes to the line and gives them the lead there in the last minute or so. And I thought it was interesting, you know, like we've talked about before that I think SIU only had one player on their roster with more than one season of Division One basketball, but mm-hmm. then late they had several freshmen out there, and uh, Kyler Filowich, who's a freshman from Canada, really had to step up because it looked like uh, Anthony D'Avonzo was uh, struggle with it, struggling with his conditioning. He had a sequence there where he had a couple of bad possessions and was really kind of uh, it looked like he was struggling to you know to catch his breath, and then which came in and really did some good things as a true freshman for them. You know, uh, Stat-wise, he doesn't really show up quite. quite. Uh, there's not a lot that shows up. But definitely, I thought he had a good game for the
0: Salukis. Well, what, what stood out to me in that game on the SIU side was how balanced of a game it was. I mean, the offense for Carbondale, they had five guys with 10 or more points. They had five guys in double digits, but it wasn't like a certain player... Did a lot more than another. I mean, the highest scoring player on the team. Two guys had 13 points. So as you have five guys with you know 10 points or more, but the highest total is 13. I mean, it's hard to really defend, you know, key in on a guy when you're spreading the ball around as well as the Salukis did against Murray.
1: Yeah, I thought Murray did a good job against the mask. I think what was it? He was definitely in the second part of the first half before he scored. I think he only had four points at halftime. You know, and then five of his 13 points come from the free throw line. So, you know, he didn't shoot real well. He was four for 13. But like you said, the other guys stepped up, um, you know, and it was, I think, you know, I've I've seen a lot of basketball games and, you know, watching a lot of college basketball. I don't know the last time I saw a division one college basketball coach call a timeout in the first minute of the first half. Hmm. But, you know, and people think, well, it's because they hit those two threes. I think it's probably more that Murray State had two turnovers. I mean, you're talking a big game. You come in, you travel on the first possession, give up a three, the second possession, you throw the ball away. And, you know, the uh, coach was pretty upset. I, you know, heard from some people that you could hear coach yelling at those guys that, hey, the game's already started, guys. We need to get going, you know, and here they're already down 6 nothing. a minute into the game.
0: Well, in as good of a game as it turned out, sloppiness was there you know Mm -hmm. you know talk about the two turnovers early on in the game but not only did Murray State have 18 turnovers in the game but so did Carbondale so both teams struggled to you know take control and really step on the gas you know throughout the game you know turnovers hurt Murray you know they hurt Carbondale at times but luckily for SIU's sake those 18 turnovers didn't cost them the game they were still able to knocked down almost 81 percent from the foul line which really there was the difference there in the game they outscored murray 21 to 6 from the foul line you know and, and murray state was 6 of 7 at the free throw line which isn't bad they just didn't get there a hell of a whole lot
1: right you know and one of the concerns for southern illinois has been their rebounding look at the stats they had one excuse me two offensive rebounds but one it's classified as a team rebound, which my understanding is, is like if a ball goes out of bounds, like you know a guy shoots and nobody's there to rebound it, it goes to the defense, and you get that or the offense, you get that rebound. You know, so really only one true rebound on the offensive end for the Celtics, and to pull away with a win, you know, like you said, eighteen turnovers and two offensive boards—that's you, you got to be, you know, that's the day you go buy a lottery ticket. I think you think you're living right on those days.
0: Oh, for sure. And with, you know, Carbondale getting to the line as many times as they did, you know, that's going to hurt Murray's chances as well to contribute on offense for some of their key players. I mean, they had four guys with at least four fouls or more. You know, they had one guy foul out and then, you know, two other guys in their starting lineup, Williams and Brown, each had four. And with Brown struggling, which, you know, may have had to do with his foul trouble, not being able to find that rhythm but KJ Williams was 17 points and then, you know, he had to sit at times with four fouls. So when you already have your, you know, arguably your best player not being able to get things going and then your, you know, your next best player who's really trying to stay on the court. And if things aren't, you know, working out with him, foul trouble wise, it's going to be hard to, you know, make up for two guys, if you will.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, and I forget who it was, but they lost the guy even, I think, during the shoot round earlier in the day that he was on – the guy that was on crutches for them. And you'd know better than I would for SEMO that they had that guy on crutches. So, you know, that that affects your depth, and especially when you, you're running into foul trouble. That's just one more body you could have used, and, you know, you're adjusted on the fly.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And the last game in the crossover uh, – happened well basically last night as we record here on Wednesday uh Evansville got another win you know 2-0 and at home now 2-0 and against OVC teams they knocked off SEMO 66-63 to in overtime they trailed 26-24 to at the half and what I saw in this game uh TJ it, it was a pretty well defensive game you know There were some open shots that neither team, you know, were able to knock down, but both teams were able to force some turnovers. Evansville forced SEMO into 16, which, you know, I don't want to say wasn't expected. You know, SEMO having a new coach, you know, you got guys that haven't really played together that much. They only have a couple of returning players. All the rest are transfers and, you know, and freshmen, but... To see that SEMO was able to be competitive against Evansville, which, you know, from SEMO's standpoint, very winnable game. But even though it's a loss, if you're a fan of SEMO or just somebody that follows the OVC and wants the OVC to do well, you gotta like where Coach Korn has the Red Hawks right now. As yeah, they have a losing record two and three, but all three losses are in overtime. And this right. game against Evansville was just as competitive as their other two losses.
1: Yeah, you know it was definitely uh, one of those games. It came down to some big possessions late. You know, I thought that uh, Semo had done their job and come back to to tie it before. I think it was was a Givens so that hits that layup at the end there. Yep. To uh, you know, it gets the and one possession, and uh, I mean it was it was a. From a coaching standpoint, you like it that you come down and you don't have to call timeout and let the other just other side get set up. And you obviously have that luxury when the score's tied as opposed to when you're down. But, you know, made a big-time play. Got to the rim and, you know, drew the foul and sealed the game for him.
0: Yeah, and you know Frederick uh 11 points. He was 2 of 4 from three-point range. And, and that was an area where Simo was able to key in on Evansville to keep them in the game. Yeah, SEMO had a – I think they had a four- or five-point lead kind of late in the game. Um, But obviously that dwindled, went to overtime. But they were able to hold Evansville to eight of just – eight of 23 from three-point range, which was less than 35%, whereas SEMO was eight of 16. So SEMO was able to get things done from behind the arc. But just like, you know, one of the other games we had talked about also against Evansville was the Eastern game. SEMO struggled from the foul line – like Eastern did against Evansville. 9 of 15 for just 60% whereas Evansville made 16 free throws. So as we've seen in these crossover games, the foul the foul shooting differential has been pretty noticeable between the team that comes away with the win and the team that, you know, ultimately gets that loss.
1: Yeah, Evansville uh, fit that old adage, you know, where they say you want to make more free throws than the other team attempts. Well, they did it just barely, but they still did it.
0: Yeah, and the only other thing to take away from that is SEMO uh, was good on the boards, out-rebounded Evansville 41-32, to 32, which uh, Coach Corn seems to seems to have his team rebounding. Well, they've been out-rebounding, seems like, every team they face, whether they win or lose. And a lot of that's to do with their transfer, Nolan Taylor, who went 13 points and nine boards uh, last night. But moving on from the crossover games... Was there something that stood out to you, TJ, this past week inside the Missouri Valley Conference?
1: I think overall, it's the way that Drake has played. Uh, you know, when they played Air Force the other day, I think DJ Wilkins had a heck of a game for them. At one point, I think it was he was six for nine from three point range for uh, the Bulldogs. And I remember I was sitting there watching that game, and he missed the next one, and I was surprised that he missed it. And that's when you know you're shooting really well when people are surprised when you miss a shot. You know, there's just, I mean, you expect shots are going to be missed and you're disappointed when shots are missed. It's like, oh, that one actually didn't go in for him. (laughs) What's wrong? So, you know, they've really been impressive. Some people think maybe they should have stepped up their schedule, but given the circumstances, I don't know what a team's supposed to do. But, you know, Roman Penn is exactly what you've expected. And uh, I think Darnell Brody for the Bulldogs has been pretty impressive. They're getting what they wanted out of a big body like that. So I'm looking forward to seeing them as they come down the stretch when he has to go against the likes of Cameron Crutwig and Austin Fife, and see what kind of problems he'll create for teams that don't have as much size like, you know, in Evansville or Southern Illinois. So, uh, you know, we'll see what what it's like when they open up conference play here next week and uh, see if they're, if they're the real deal or not. But yeah, I think things are going well for the Bulldogs up up there so you know and I I was impressed with uh Loyola too because Northern Iowa had to pause their uh, their schedule they were supposed to play uh Loyola was supposed to play Duquesne I think it was today be Caribbean Wednesday was supposed to play Duquesne in Indianapolis but Duquesne yeah. had to pause so they they audibled and went and played Wisconsin number 12 Wisconsin and they hung with them they were right there at halftime and then uh, Wisconsin opened up on a big run there in the second half, but they didn't quit. Uh, Lucas Williamson hit several threes. I think they climbed back into with at least 10. Maybe they even got it down to nine uh, before, you know, those big schools just have so many more bodies. that, And they did a good job of establishing Cameron Crutwig early, uh, really pounded the, you know, forced the ball inside to him and had some good things. And I think Crutwig's passing from the post. It's, it's no surprise to people that have watched the Missouri Valley, but, he did a really good job with that yesterday, too, making sure his teammates were included and uh, their transfer from Oakland. Uh, the Norris kid has been, been a great addition for them, too. So, you know, with Northern Iowa's um, injury problems, we didn't talk about this last week, but A.J. Green, it looks like he's going to have surgery. and be out for the year. And then uh, Antoine Kimmons has taken the year off, it looks like. He's gone back home to Minnesota to help his family during the, the COVID crisis. He just said, it was a really nice piece written in the uh, um, in the newspaper up there. I, I forgot the guy's name now, but he did a really nice piece where he talked to uh, Kimmons, and Kimmons just like, you know, I was there. I, just, I felt like I needed to be back home, make the best decision for my family. And that's what it was. So I think the landscape has really changed in the, uh, the the Missouri Valley compared to what we were expecting back in November. So, how about on the Ohio Valley side? What's what's standing out to you about the OBC?
0: Well, before we get to the Ohio Valley, I wanted to mention uh, you were talking about Drake here a few minutes ago. I've been impressed with how how well they've done. It's not that they're just getting wins. I mean, they're winning with ease. It's not like it's a single-digit victory. And they're steamrolling opponents. And it all started with that 10-point win over Kansas State on the road. Uh, but the one thing I wanted to mention, was it, was it Drake Last year, they got off to a pretty good start and then faltered a little bit, or was that a different team? Or am I thinking it maybe two years ago?
1: Maybe two years ago. Last year, they, I think they had their struggles. they kind of up and down all year, if I remember right.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I thought... I couldn't remember if it was last year or the year before. I remembered SEMO had went to Drake and played, and I thought Drake got off to a really good start, and then... Things started to started to falter I mean it was like yeah they, so last year they started 10 and three okay and then yeah so they, they did really well in their non-conference play because they beat Murray State last year too and really their their only bad loss in non-conference play last year was Cincinnati so yeah that's that's what I was thinking of
1: I I do want to say you know I know we don't talk about when they play non-division one games where they're playing McHenry which you know, it was right here by us. I have uh, two graduate degrees from there, and have done PA work for them. And unfortunately, the uh, sports information director from McHenry passed away about two weeks ago. And so, watching the you know, and Scott Cummings was became a friend of mine through my time at working uh, public address there for McHenry, and lost the battle with cancer. But I thought it was pretty classy that uh, on the ESPN Plus or ESPN three broadcast between Drake and McHenry. That uh, they took time and they mentioned Scott and his contribution to McKendry Athletics and his 25 years that he's worked there, and then there was even a moment of silence that they observed before the game against there at Drake. So I thought that was that was pretty cool, and personally, that that meant quite a bit to me too to to see them pay tribute to you know a guy that just loved the sports and loved sports in general. It was really good at his job, and anyone who's been around McKendry Athletics knows who Scott Cummings is. So I thought it was just a little personal note I had there. Sorry about that.
0: No, you're good, and it's always nice to see, you know, schools do that. Especially when something happens to, you know, if it's a road team coming in, it's nice to see that, you know, the opposing program or university goes out of their way to, you know, at least take time to, you know, mention it. So, on the Ohio Valley side of things, TJ, uh, Austin P stands out for me from this past week. You know, they lost, they lost by 30 to Murray State last week. When we were recording this past episode, uh, but they struggled to pull away from McKendry. Uh They lost, or they won eighty-two to sixty-eight, and then last night they lost to Florida A&M seventy-six to seventy at home. And Austin P. I, you know, what's their identity right now? I think they're still trying to figure out who they are, and they they might just be pressing too much, or uh, I don't want to say. That was a bad term, trying too hard, if you will. Right, right. I, because yes. they have a lot of. If, if they
1: were pitching terms, we'd be say squeezing the baseball too tightly.
0: Exactly. Right. So, I I think they're just trying too hard because you know, it's been a while since Austin P has been you know picked to win the conference, and you know when you have the OVC preseason Player of the Year and defending Player of the Year, and Terry Taylor, you know they have a they got a lot of people looking at him and a lot of. A lot of these other programs, like Murray and Belmont, that have been up there at the top, you know, they're going to use that as you know, some incentive to you know take them down. You know, so seeing that Austin P was picked to win the conference, and then especially seeing them lose at home to Florida A and M, you know, seventy six seventy. Yeah, it was a close game at the end, but really, Florida A and M never. I mean, Osprey really didn't threaten them that much. It was tied tight. Yeah, I think half. they
1: cut it to four a couple times, but you know, A and M always had an answer and, and they you know previously un, had hadn't won before. I mean, but now they were playing some true high majors. But uh still to lose the floor in AM at home was something you can't be pleased
0: about. And they allowed the Rattlers to shoot nearly fifty six percent from the floor. Uh, Terry Taylor was able to you know, getting double digits in the game, he had 13 points. And you look at Taylor on the year; he's still averaging a double double thus far. He's averaging nearly 20 points per game, over 10 rebounds to this point. But they're going to need some other players to step up and contribute. Uh, Jordan Adams, you know, one of the good players on Austin P outside of Taylor, but he's missed the last two games. He he didn't play against McKendree. He didn't play last night against Florida A&M. So with Adams out. You know, Austin is gonna need some other guys to step up. And Coach Figger, you know, he's a good coach. He's gotten Austin P, you know, back on track after the, you know, the Dave Luce era. And I don't think this team's you know, yeah, they've they lost these couple games, but I don't think they're done. I don't think they're gonna struggle all year. They got too many weapons, and I think they just need to take a step back, regroup, take a deep breath, and Take it, you know, day by day and things will get back on track. And I think Austin P. will be just fine in the standings when everything's all said and done.
1: Yeah, I hope so. You know, uh, you know we're kind of looking at that from the SIU's perspective. That's why the, the Murray State win felt so big for Southern Illinois because they had just beaten Austin P. so handily. So then, you know, you see that happen last night. You kind of wonder if Austin Peay's a real dealer or not, but hopefully they can bounce back and be a good representative for the OVC.
0: Absolutely. But looking ahead to this week's matchups, TJ, uh, any games that stand out to you on the Missouri Valley side of things?
1: Well, I think it's interesting that Southern Illinois is going to do a back-to-back with North Dakota here on Thursday and Friday and kind of get them ready for, uh, you know, The idea that that's how they're going to play their conference season is going to be on back-to-back days and give them a chance to adapt, maybe try and really look at their depth. Uh, Loyola going against Richmond, you know, Richmond's uh, been ranked most of the season. Northern Iowa, I thought, played really well against them you know, without A.J. Green before Richmond pulled away late. So I think that'll be a a good test for Loyola to see where they are uh, coming up here in the next week i'm excited to see missouri state getting back on the floor i mean they've got some games against some division two schools here but happy to see them finally getting some games in and uh, you know i think valparaiso versus toledo which is supposed to be saturday i think that'll be a good a good test and uh, you know i think those are always good ones i think chicago state is trying to play every team in the Missouri Valley Conference. <laughs> that's what it I looks like. I think that's, that's their objective. I mean, I think uh, yesterday they said they had six players dressed at one point, it looked like they were coming out, but oh. I, don't, I didn't get a chance to watch their game against Illinois State yesterday. But you know, they're just anyone that, anyone that calls, they're, they're answering the phone and they're showing up. So uh, then we have another crossover game on Monday that uh, Belmont is going to go to Evansville. So, you know. 2 weeks ago you might know, thought well Belmont should win that one pretty easily but now Evansville showed some shown some fight excuse me and uh you know Belmont it'll be I shouldn't say it'll be a good test for Belmont but I think it's a better game now than you probably thought two or 3 weeks ago
0: I so, think you're exactly yeah. right and seeing how many three-pointers that Evansville's been attempting if if they're mm-hmm. able to knock a couple of them down get their confidence up you know there's no there's no saying what could happen against Belmont. If Belmont's three-point shooting's off and Evansville's able to get out and defend that three and then Evansville's able to knock down a couple, I mean, it, it could be a good game and it could be a game where Evansville, you know, could sneak out a win, even though Belmont will more than likely be favored in the game, probably by, I'd say, seven to eight points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no... I mean, it, who knows? It, it's it's 2020, Crazy things have happened this year, and <laughs> I, it, you know, it would not surprise me at all if Evansville was able to somehow win against Belmont at this point. Yep.
1: And then another crossover game next Tuesday, Indiana State is hosting SEMO. Would you be willing to take a prop bet that SEMO goes to overtime with an MVC team? I,
0: I think if I was given, <laughs> if I was able to bet that at this point, I would do it. And if I lost, so be it. But, you know... <laughs> I I was watching the game last night, and I was literally talking out loud. I'm like, is this game really going to go to overtime again? Like, the heck with these non-conference games being, you know, lessened. SEMO's about ready to play another full game with all these overtimes they've played. I mean, To
1: me, it's it's free basketball. It's like you're going shopping, and you got, you you know, five minutes free. You had what you were going to pay for in the 40 minutes, and you get five minutes free. It's great basketball, you know?
0: Yeah, and you know, hat you know, tip your cap to Coach Corn. He's getting the guys out there, getting them ready to play and competitive. Getting mm-hmm. it, you know. But man, it'd be great if they could, you know, finish one in regulation. But right.
1: Well, it, the big the last the last one on the MVC side, I had. It's probably the biggest one. Is Bradley's going to go to Mizzou? You know, Mizzou cracked the uh, the rankings this last week after their big win over Illinois in the Bragging Rights game. And, uh, you know, so this game's been scheduled since this summer, and hopefully they're able to pull it off. But that will probably wind down the uh, non-conference season for the NBC, because unlike the OBC, they're waiting until, uh, I think it's that next weekend or that weekend uh, after Christmas where they're going to get rolling.
0: Sure. Uh, before we move into some of the Ohio Valley uh, games here, the one part I do want to mention, uh, NES State played SLU last night. and. Mm-hmm. I, there was a real scrappy effort by Indiana State, I thought.
1: Yeah, I, I hadn't had a chance to watch Slew play yet. I was pretty impressed with them. You know, they're they're fast. You know, of course, they have the good wind kid that's, you know, been their leader here for the last two or three years. And I, I was really impressed by them. But, you know, there was, uh, you know, I thought Cooper Neese had a pretty good game for the Aces, if I remember, or not for the Aces, goodness gracious, excuse me, for the Sycamores. But, uh, you know, I thought, you know, they, they didn't give up. They cut it down to, what, 12 late mm-hmm. and forced you know forced SLU to keep playing. It wasn't just like, hey, we got up 20, and now we're going to run away with it. Um, but I think you're to the point now, especially for Indiana State, that, hey, we got to start winning games. We can't just be satisfied with being competitive. But you got to look at SLU. It's got to be a, a team I think is going to play in a tournament. Yep. And, you know, kind of they're going to finish top two or three. In the A10, which I think the A10 is a level above, you know the MVC and the OVC. You know, they're still a mid major, but they're probably as close to being you know a major as any mid major school and as any major conference there is. So sure, you know, yeah. can't you can't be ashamed of losing at SLU, and hopefully they can uh, turn it around here.
0: No, I think SLU, the a 10s going to come down to SLU and Richmond. You know, and Richmond just took it to Vanderbilt today. But, mm-hmm. yeah, as you said, you know, Indiana State's probably didn't didn't want to have that mindset, well, you know, we're just being competitive. But, you know, SLU's a very good team. You know, Coach Travis Ford has SLU going in the right direction. And, you know, it's not a bad loss for Indiana State, but maybe they'll be able to use, you know, that game against SLU to get them, you know, prepared for a game against, you know, SEMO.
1: Right. And they just had that game against Purdue, too, where I thought they showed pretty well. But, you know, the inside post presence of Purdue proved to be the difference.
0: But on the Ohio Valley side, uh, looking forward to the game, well, tonight. uh, Jacksonville State and Tennessee Tech play again. They played earlier in the week, and Jacksonville State came away with a 73-67 win. Uh, Tennessee Tech still searching for that first win. They're 0-6, but they've been getting more competitive as each game has gone by. They lost by 6 to Jacksonville State. I believe they lost by like 1 point to... I think it was, I'd say it was Western Carolina. Uh, but Brandon Huffman, transferred from North Carolina, has been big for Coach Harper at Jacksonville right. State, and he was big in the game against Tennessee Tech this past week. He he only played 17 minutes, but he, he had 16 points. I mean, he was second on the team in points, but played the fewest minutes of any starter on Jacksonville State. So... I mean, this is going to be a guy to watch as OVC games come and go. He's a monster around the rim. And it's showed in these just in these few games thus far for Jacksonville State. Uh, some of the other games looking forward to in Ohio Valley Conference play. But on the OVC side of things, you know, you look at some of these games coming up. There's it's a stretch around the holidays where Mostly, these OVC schools are playing some schools outside of the Division One level. Uh, I mean, you do have Tennessee Tech playing tenth-ranked Tennessee, so be on the SEC network. Uh, but other than that, before the new week starts, it's basically just some OVC games. You got Belmont and Tennessee State playing in, at the Gentry Center down in Nashville, so a crosstown rivalry game there. I believe the McNeese State game against Austin P was canceled. Uh, UT Martin and SEMO will get their OVC game going uh, on Friday. And same with S.I.U. Edwardsville and Moorhead State. So a lot of stuff will start to come to fruition when these OVC schools start to you know, get the rhythm of conference games going. There right. hasn't and, been too many that and, have actually had a conference game to this point.
1: Yeah, and kind of a quirky thing that – you know, Murray State and Austin P are already going to play each other again by Monday. So, you know, two teams that were projected to finish at the top of the league, they're going to be done playing before Christmas.
0: A nationally televised game with that, too. Yeah. So um, Morehead State. I'm
1: sure, I'm sure Austin P wishes they had some more time to, uh, you know, get some things ironed out. With, you know, like you mentioned earlier about the way they've been playing lately. So,
0: when you look at Morehead State, they play. Against 24th ranked Clemson. And, you know, when we had Coach Spoonauer on, he was talking about how he had three bye games this year. That's essentially what Moorhead State has had this year. Maybe three and a half, if you will. They played Richmond, but they opened the season against 10th ranked Kentucky. They've also played Ohio State, who's ranked. Now they're going to play Clemson, who's ranked. So they've had a mm-hmm. tough schedule, and by no means were the results uh, great for. Moorhead State in those games but they were able to get uh you know a bye game or two if you will on their schedule and right now they're sitting at four and four so they may not have gotten off to the start they wanted to which included a collapsed game against Eastern Kentucky on the road when they were up by I think it was 15 or 16 right but now they're on a three-game win streak and they just beat Eastern Kentucky at home They beat them 75-62. And Eastern Kentucky is a team where I just saw they're in the top 25 for mid-major rankings uh, this week. Coach A.W. Hamilton's got them going in the right direction. Uh, So we'll see if Moorhead State's able to be a little bit more competitive against a Power 5 school that'll be nationally televised on the ACC network. Uh, Two Illinois schools will clash. On Monday, the twenty-first, Eastern Illinois and SIU Edwardsville will play, and then that's the same day that Belmont and Evansville go head-to-head. And then you already mentioned the Murray and Austin Peay game that's nationally televised. So there's a lot of nationally televised games for OVC members uh, this coming week. Uh, you also have UT Martin going to Ole Miss, and that game will be on the SEC network. And then. Tennessee Tech travels to Western Kentucky as that game's on ESPNU. And while this game might not be nationally televised, I'm looking forward to Tennessee State playing at home against Chattanooga. Chattanooga's won a few teams that are still undefeated. They're 6 0, 3 0 on the road. But really not sure what Tennessee State is at this point because they've had so many games canceled to this point. And basically are just starting their season. You know, they opened the season against Belmont and then just played IUPUI and lost by three. And now they get got to play against Belmont on the 18th before they play Chattanooga. So it's like, well, congrats, we're going to start our season, but we got to play Belmont twice right. you know, out of our first three games. And undefeated Chattanooga. And Chattanooga, too, is your fourth. You know, it's like... right. We haven't gotten to practice a lot. We haven't gotten to, you know, knock the rust off a lot, but here, we're going to have three tough games, you know, in our first four and, you know, see what happens. But other than that, there's not many other games inside the OVC that we haven't already talked about. Yeah, there's the crossover games, but other than that, it's the, you know, it's the holiday time, so not too many games will be taking place for the OVC, but. I think this will give a lot of the OVC teams, you know, a chance to kind of catch their breath, evaluate themselves, see where they're at. Uh, you know, the coaches will, the head coaches will start working with their coaching staff, and I'm sure they'll really start to dissect some film uh, during some of those off days. Yeah, they'll enjoy the holidays, but I think this is a time where they're going to take a step back and really try and evaluate and see is there something we could get better at or you know, are we two steps back than what we thought we'd be, or are we ahead of schedule at this point?
1: Yeah, I think a big thing for the, the non conference for, you know, schools, both the MVC and the OVC, is you're trying to, you know, work out the kinks and try to figure out who you're going to be and who you can rely on. Uh, get your rotation going for once you, once you start full fledged into the conference season, which. Know, is a little bit different for each of our conferences but still that's what they're trying to do is um, historically you know, obviously the OVC had two teams in a couple of years ago but the last few years they've both sleep, mostly both been one big team so you have to be ready to, to make some noise in your conference at
0: this point. For sure. Uh, with that, that'll kind of uh, wrap up the MVC, OVC side of things and kind of wrap up the show too Uh, before we conclude here tj uh, when you look at the top 25 rankings for college basketball is there a team or maybe two teams that are inside the top 25 that have surprised you to this point or maybe a team that's fallen outside of the top 25 that you know you didn't see happening
1: well i think kentucky's performance has been kind of surprising i think the last i saw they were one and four you know, and they're playing many of those games at home. And, you know, kind of wonder how much of an impact bringing in, you know, this, you know, and credit to Coach Perry, He's playing the hand he's dealt. But, hey, I'm going to get these one and dones as often as I can because those are the best players that have. But is that, is that making a difference in this year when he hasn't had a chance to get those guys in and get them into a system? And, of course, he's worried about being ready for March. But, you know, that that's... That stands out to me, and then you know I thought Mizzou looked good the other day against Illinois. I thought Illinois had a chance to 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 win that game, but you know they definitely uh, have been surprising. You know, the, and there's a, there's a case where you've had guys that have been there for two or three years, and things are coming together. And then I thought it was weird that Duke just like, hey, you know what? After they got beat by Illinois, whether that was the, the case or not, we're just gonna wait and play our conference games. I thought that was a strange move. I, I, what did you think about that?
0: I was very surprised um, that they were basically going to forego the rest of their non-conference schedule. Um, the one area that you did see a lot on social media was uh, Nate Oates, uh, head coach for Alabama, right. you know, basically in talks with that reporter. You know, was saying, you know, hey, if had Duke won those two games, you know, would Coach K have? had that same mindset and I thought it was a good point by what a uh, coach Oates said. Um, do I, do I think that coach K's mindset may have been different had they won those two games? I think so, but I'm not a head coach in college basketball. I don't know everything that's going on, you know, with the players there and whatnot, but I feel like if you beat a couple of those ranked teams, then, you know, anybody's mindset would change after that.
1: Yeah, uh, the kind of the reaction to Coach Oates comments, Oates' comments were like, how dare you say anything negative about Coach K? You're like, well, you asked me a question, and yeah. you know, we were always clamoring for players and coaches to give us – you know more uh, forthright answers than the canned answers, and he does it. And it's kind of like, how oh, can you say anything bad about Coach K?
0: Yeah,
1: you know, it's just and he was. You know, he's asked his opinion. He was. He gives his opinion. Obviously, you know, people have the right to, you know, be critical of your opinion. I just think it's kind of a weird scenario. Like, well, we can't say anything bad about the decisions that Coach K's made, and you know. But I think it 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 doesn't look good when they have, you know, a significant loss at home. To Illinois and then that's when they Make the decision like hey, we're going to shut this down yeah, yeah And and how's that going to play When if, if they go into ACC Play and they finish And I don't think this will happen but if they finish Fifth or sixth well now you don't have any good Resume building wins outside Of the conference Yeah, You know and it's kind of like what we're seeing football Wise with Ohio State like well we still know They're really good and now the eye test Matters as opposed to all those Metrics that we wanted to use to keep those other teams, you know, to to try and even things out, so to speak.
0: Sure. Uh, One of the areas, you know, I watched that Illinois Missouri game, and if Illinois makes their free throws, I think they win that game. It's they struggled mightily from the free throw line. It seemed like every time they went to the line, it was like they were missing a free throw. Yeah.
1: And, one thing I pulled away from that Mizzou game, that Mizzou-Illinois game, and then there's an incident that happened, I think, the next day I was watching a game. I don't know what a flagrant one is anymore. I don't because, either. What's that?
0: I, said, I don't either.
1: Because, you know, the kid from Illinois is battling for position. The kid from Mizzou locks his arm, like, you know – in his elbow as he's coming up and causes the, the Illinois kid to hit the Mizuki in the face. It was like the Mizuki almost moved his hand into his face. There's a great acting job. Well then it's a flagrant. Well then that's a huge possession at the end of the game. And then I'm watching a game the next day, I forget who it was. It was a, uh, I think it was an OBC game and a guy was trying to come through, like get by a guy, he kind of comes over the top with his left hand, catches the guy in the face. They go and look at no foul. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like they were I thought the complete opposite of both of those calls. I thought the Mizzou call should have not happened. And then I thought the game in the in that OVC game should have definitely been a flagrant one. And they're just like, Nope, we're good. Like I, I I can't figure it out.
0: No, it was definitely a real questionable call, especially in a very tight rivalry game and a game that typically doesn't take place on a school's campus mm-hmm. but you know it's, it's in a situation where you know you can't blame yeah the call was in my opinion bad but Illinois takes advantage of those f- freebies at the line right. probably not in that spot yep so oh,
1: and I'm I'm definitely one of those people I'm not a person who's going to say a referee decides the game I hate the phrase when someone says well you know Referee decided the game. Like, well, if, if the referee doesn't blow their whistle, they still decide the game. If you don't call a foul, you decided it, just like you would have had you called the foul, you know? So I I, I I don't want to think people think that's kind of my mindset, but I just thought it was, I had trouble seeing how that was a flagrant one. And then the next day, playoffs. So and I wish I could remember who it was, but it wasn't. I was like, wow, that's, it's hard to, how do you tell a kid what's okay and what's not okay?
0: The one team that is in the top 25 for me that I, I think could make a run for their money, move up the rankings even more, and compete for what I think could be a championship in their Power Five conference. I've been impressed with Rutgers. You know, Rutgers is ranked 19th. They're five and zero thus far. Uh, They beat Syracuse by 10. They won with ease at Maryland, 74-60. And this game against Illinois coming up at home, I think is gonna have a is gonna say a lot about where Rutgers is at. But Ron Harper Jr. is a very good player inside the Big Ten and a very good player for Rutgers. So Rutgers has some good players in this program. And their next two games are against Illinois and then Ohio State, and Ohio State's without EJ Liddell right now. And the Buckeyes are currently ranked. But you look at Rutgers, you know, yeah, you have Harper Jr. over 23 points. But Jacob Young has been very good, was watching their nationally televised game the other night. And he's he can knock down the three ball. He was shooting over 40 percent, I believe. And then you also had uh, Montez Mathis. They have multiple weapons on Rutgers and they pass the ball, too. Um, I think they're—they are. I forget what the number is, but they average, you know, more than a handful of assists per game. They're very well, at, very good at passing the ball. So, other than that, TJ, I think that'll wrap up the show. You got any final thoughts?
1: Nope. Just excited about uh, conference play starting. Of course, we will have another episode before then, and uh, you know, getting into the holiday break here. Hope uh, everyone has a good and safe holiday, like we talked about before.
0: So, I got a question for you. Okay. It has to do with the holidays, Christmas lights. Are you a Christmas lights guy, TJ? Do you put up lights at the house?
1: Yeah, we put up lights. I have my father help me. We, you know, it's kind of to keep up with the neighbors, so we probably need to do some more, but I'm not a huge fan of them. I'm definitely a guy that I'm not going to put them up until. A Friday after Thanksgiving, and I will take them down January first. Oh, no, so we're you know we're only gonna have one Christmas tree at the Hoover household. I you know some people have multiple trees, but uh, you know I don't mind going around, especially this time. Uh, you know with everything going on, taking them in and stuff like that. You know for something to do, it's it's still uh, you know able to social distance. But I know you're a big Christmas lights guy.
0: I am, but my my question that I was leading towards here. Do you like the inflatables that people put in their front yard?
1: Yeah, I don't mind them. I think, you know, they're, they're oh, easy and, geez. and uh, you know, can do some nice things.
0: Oh, I don't like them. I, I don't like the inflatables. I, I don't know what it is. I just, I don't know if I feel like it's just too easy. It doesn't take any time. Just slap an inflatable up there and plug it in. And boom, there it is. Snowman's, you know... Uh, I, I just don't like them. I think they look kind of tacky.
1: Well, there's one down the street from me. It's a inflatable of a nativity scene. Are you are you saying Jesus is tacky? Is that what?
0: No, I I'm not that? saying that. But <laughs> I just ah uh, okay. But yeah, no, that's I, that's an inflatable. Why I mean, can't you have a normal nativity scene out front?
1: Well, easier to store, though. I you know I I don't necessarily love them, but I don't have anything against them either. So,
0: Fair enough. We'll leave it at that. I think they're tacky, but you know, that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Okay. So that'll wrap up the episode here. Uh, for TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with episode 28. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValley'sPod. Enjoy the rest of your week.
1: Have a good one, everybody.